0: Hello, you're listening to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan. Joining me this week is my good friend Dave Colmine. Yo. And today we are talking about John Steinbeck's of mice and men. today at the Coalmine Clubhouse Recording Studio for a change. Woot woot. Yes. Um, That's me adjusting my mic clutch. A <laughs> squeaky microphone. Only the best, Only the best production the quality at the Coalmine Clubhouse Recording Studio. <laughs> uh, Dave, you just fed me a bunch of chili. We're drinking wine. Venison chili. Venison chili. It was very tasty. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Oh, yeah. This has been fun. Yeah, this is, uh, I think the th- third time you've been on yes correct you were here for a uh, battle royale and uh, two live crew previous to this and you've called in on the live ones before but i don't think i haven't had to do any
1: reading till you now. haven't had to do any reading <laughs> until now right. that's why it's, <laughs> it's taken a while for me to get here because i don't because reading was involved but you know i got home from work today and uh poured a whiskey sat in the window on the couch had an electric fireplace going sipped a whiskey and read the third chapter in of
0: mice and men by John Steinbeck. That sounds like a pretty uh, killer way to uh, spend a, a, a fall early evening. That's right. There is a little bit of snow outside. There is sure. a little bit, yeah. We're I don't know if it's officially winter yet. When does winter start? I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know either. It's cold. It feels like winter. We live in Canada. Um, yeah, we're talking about uh, Of Mice and Men, and uh, and it's the first thing we had to read for the podcast. It is a short book, though. In fact, I'm not even sure. According week, According to Wikipedia... Uh, it's a novella. Yes, it's a novella, even not shorter. a book. It's about 100 and, 109 pages, I think, Wikipedia lists it at. Uh And so for this episode, we've covered the first, basically, I, I, I'm calling them chapters. I don't know if that's what they're intended to be, but there are basically uh, six chapters in this are, book. They're chapters. And we've covered the first three, and we'll cover the next three uh, in the next episode. Um, so we're about halfway, a little over halfway through the book, about 57 pages. in. Cool. Um, now the book is called, originally it was called Something That Happened, but he, uh, he changed the title after reading, uh, Robert Burns' poem to a mouse, uh, which is a poem that, uh, tells of the regret of the narrator for having destroyed the home of a mouse while plowing his field. And that's the poem where the line, um, the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, often go awry, uh, originates. And so it's a reference to that. Um, And of course, we can already see in, well, we've already seen in this book that there is mice and men to an extent.
1: There there are mice and men from the first chapter, yes. Yes. Very early on, there are mice and men. Um, The book tells the story of two gentlemen, George, uh, George's Uh, A fairly intelligent and hot-tempered fellow. And with him, wherever he goes... Is Lenny Small. Lenny. Lenny Small. Who who is
0: not small at all. He's a very large man.
1: Yeah, so there's this massive linebacker of a gentleman who's a little mentally slow. Yeah. uh, And doesn't understand always the intricacies of social situations or his own strength. And George kind of has ownership of him a bit, like—or that's the wrong word for it—but they travel together. They travel and, together, yeah. and
0: they're—they're they're not related. But George has kind of a almost a big brother relationship yeah. to Lenny, um, though. As uh, uh, the further you get into the book, and you hear some of the stories that George tells about his, his some of his experiences with Lenny. It seems apparent that that always hasn't been the case. Like George tells a couple of stories where he was kind of a dick to Lenny and kind of, you know, having some fun at Lenny's expense because Lenny's not super bright. And at a certain amount of, at a certain point, I think he starts to feel he started to feel guilty about that. He's now kind of trying to be a bit more protective.
1: Yeah, he tells the story of a time uh, where he went too far and. He tells Lenny to jump in a river, and Lenny will do whatever George asks. And so Lenny jumps in the river and uh, nearly drowns. And by the time George pulls him out of the river, Lenny has already forgotten how he fell in the river and is so thankful to George for pulling him out. And in that moment, he felt a a guilt Mm -hmm. and a Mm -hmm. revelation came over him that he would take care of this man, Lenny. Uh, And so he does, and he's very protective of Lenny. Uh, He asks Lenny not to speak in the initial greetings. Um, with the ranch that they're going to go work on. Just don't speak, Lenny. Uh,
0: well, they're both like the 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 book is set uh, during the Great Depression, yes. and and George and Lenny are basically traveling through California from work site to work site. They've just um they've just escaped from I can't remember what the name of the town was, but they were Weed Weed. Yes, <laughs> you yeah, we would re- remember that, I wouldn't remember you? would remember that. <laughs> um, they were working up north at Weed, and uh, and Lenny's strength and excitement, got a little bit out, out of control. He was appreciating this woman in a dress and he wanted to touch the dress. Yeah, well, not even, he wasn't appreciating the woman no, in the, was dress. the dress. It was a beautiful red dress yeah.
1: and he just wanted to touch it.
0: Yeah, but uh, the woman freaked out. Which she freaked out. Lenny freaked out and he was holding the dress even tighter and tighter and tighter and she couldn't get away. And when she finally did, she told the townspeople that she had been assaulted by Lenny and the townspeople basically uh, pulled together a lynch mob and so Lenny and George like hid in the ditch. They oh, hid in the water up to their chins yeah. in the reeds on the edge of a ditch until yeah. nightfall. Overnight, to, and to then to run away. got out a dodge. Uh, and that's where we first encounter them at the start of the novella. Now, one of the things I, I, I thought was interesting about the way this this book was structured is in the way it's written. It almost, to me, felt like it was theatrical, like a play. Um, where so like chapter one opens with this description of like this, this clearing in the woods near some water and some brush. And it, it, he spends about a page, page and a half describing this before Lenny and George enter the scene. Correct. Which is very much what would happen in a play. Um, Then we have our first encounter with Lenny and George. We find out they've just left weed. They're going to camp here. They're going to eat some beans. Um, Lenny, And and I just got to say, this is where the mice uh, show up in the in the plot. So very early
1: on, uh, Lenny has a dead mouse in his pocket because he enjoys the tactile feel of rubbing his thumb on the mouse, Uh, and he found it dead on the side of the road. This one—that's what he says. And then George, I'm not sure that's the
0: case because I think he's had this history with probably mice in general, but also I think animals as well. That he really wants to love them, but he's too strong and he doesn't understand his strength, or I guess to an extent, he doesn't understand the weakness of other creatures, right? So, you know, he, he talked about how his aunt, I think, had given him this mouse once earlier, and he had pet the mouse, and then the mouse bit him, and then he squeezed the mouse's head and accidentally killed the mouse. Yes. And that seems to be Lenny's history with mice. Um, and so, yeah, he's carrying a dead mouse with him that George is like, get rid of that fucking mouse, give it to me. George throws it over the water, and then when they decide they're going to make camp there, um, he sends Lenny out to collect wood for the fire. When Lenny's going to collect the wood, he hears Lenny splashing through the water and he knows this guy's gone across the friggin' water to get the dead mouse back. <laughs> so when Lenny comes back with the wood, he's like, what's in your pocket? And Lenny's like, nothing. And he's like, oh, it's not in your pocket because you took it out. So let me see. And it's the mouse again. And so George has got to take the mouse back and then throw it into the woods again by now it's getting dark and so presumably Lenny won't be able to find it but this this is all very much creating a picture of of the relationship and also issues i think that Lenny is going to have as the story progresses
1: yes agreed agreed but you know being that you know, let's talk briefly about the writing i mean Stein, john steinbeck's writing is fantastic oh, yeah. I, I really love it um, this is something I wanted to introduce as a concept for your podcast is reading the first paragraph of the first chapter of the book that we're discussing. Okay. And so I'm going to pass it to you because I love how you read. Sure. I've got it queued up. But this sure. is this gives you a sense of John Steinbeck's writing and sets the scene on um, chapter one, paragraph one yeah. of, of Mice and Men.
0: And I, I hope I don't uh, get any of these place names uh, wrong. A few miles south of Soledad, the Salinas River, drops in close to the hillside bank and runs deep and green. The water is warm, too, for it is slipped twinkling over the yellow sands in the sunlight, before reaching the narrow pool. On one side of the river the golden foothill slopes curve up to the strong and rocky gabalan mountains. But on the valley sorry, but on the valley side of the water is lined with trees, willows fresh and green with every spring, carrying in their lower leaf junctures the debris of the winter's flooding, and sycamores with mottled white recumbent limbs and branches that arch over the pool on the sandy bank under the trees the leaves lie deep and so crisp that a lizard makes a great skittering if he runs among them rabbits come out of the brush to sit on the sand in the evening and the damp flats are covered with the night tracks of coons and with the spread pads of dogs from the ranches and with the split wedge tracks of deer that come to the drink come to drink in the dark it's good shit. It is good, good shit. Good shit. It really paints the scene. I mean, I'm there. And I am
1: completely there.
0: I want to go back, speaking about the writing and the structure of it, be, uh, to what I was saying about how it felt theatrical because that was intentional. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, Stymex was attempting to write in the form of a novel play or uh, a play novelette. Uh, it was structured in three acts of two chapters each uh, and it was intended that you could take this book and and actually perform it as written yeah i get that yeah i completely get that you can feel
1: that intention in it yeah. for
0: sure because every chapter so far at least works that way you're you're given a description of a scene and then your characters enter it and then exit or don't exit but either way it's like the end of a scene and then again the next chapter describing the scene characters enter um, so it is very much, and I know it has been adapted into, uh, plays and films, but it's just interesting that the intention originally was that like, it could either be read, just you sit down and read it like you were doing with a fire and some whiskey the or right way you could, you could pull together some actors and, and like literally perform it as it appears on the page, which is kind
1: of cool. It's very, very cool. Uh, So that's
0: chapter one. We get to know these characters. And then chapter two, they go to the ranch. One more thing I wanted to mention about the writing of it, which I thought was entertaining. Um, Apparently an early draft of this book was eaten by John Steinbeck's dog. Okay. Uh, He had about two months of work in it, I believe. Uh, And this is from a letter he wrote in 1936. My setter pup Toby, left alone one night, made confetti of about half my manuscript book. Two months' work to do over again. It sets me back. There was no other draft. I was pretty mad, but the poor little fellow may have been acting critically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, see, that's just a
1: good writer right there, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Uh, I have a book of the uh, compilation of Douglas Adams letters, oh, yeah, yeah. and I love it. You know, it's just yeah, a good writer.
0: Uh, so, yeah, let's move on to uh, to the second chapter.
1: So, in the second chapter, we, we end up uh, introduced to the bunkhouse, yeah. right? This spot and I guess on the ranch.
0: We should mention, too, that they do have, they have work orders um, that they're traveling to, and they are, they're getting there late. They were supposed to be there the night before, but the, uh, George decided he wanted to camp out in the woods, enjoy the night sky before getting to the work camp. Uh, and it's worth mentioning because they do get in a little bit of shit for showing up late on the Friday. I do
1: love, especially in chapter two, how they do this, uh, John does this thing where he does introduce the scene before the characters. This is the last little paragraph before the door opens into the bunkhouse. Um, At about 10 o'clock in the morning, at about 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun threw a bright dust-laden bar. At about 10 o'clock in the morning, The sun threw a bright, dust-laden bar through one of the side windows, and in and out of the beam flies shot like rushing stars. That's just good shit right there. And then a wooden latch opens on a door, right? It's great. Just sets it up. Like, I can see that. I just think the writing is so fantastic. I would also say that starting very early in Chapter 1 there was a foreboding sense i don't know what it was but there was just something about how it's written and there's like a a doom there's an under there's a layer underneath of like just feel that this is on the precipice of going wrong something about the right every
0: every step of the way
1: just the whole time you just are dreading what's coming cuz you f- can start to feel it and then it starts to take form through these second and third chapters
0: oh i think in the first chapter part of it for me was when uh, when george says to lenny when we get there when we get to the bunkhouse or wherever we're working if if things go awry um, get out of town and come back here and meet me here, uh, hide in the bushes until I get here and meet me here. Now, you just, you know, if that coming that is coming up at the beginning of the story, that that is going to happen.
1: Yeah, the way
0: it keeps getting alluded to, right? this
1: event is going to play like, out.
0: They're going to have to get out of that work camp. Something is going to happen. Lenny's going to have to get out and meet him here. George's going to have to meet him here. So something is going to go down. It's just a matter of time.
1: And I feel that this is such an important story that I've seen homages to it, that I've seen references to it, that I have a sense of how it's going to play out at the end, even though I've never read it or seen any of the adaptions.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I I'm scared. <laughs> I don't think I have... Um, I don't think I've seen any adaptations. I'm, I feel like I might have seen the one in 1990-ish God, with the, Gary Sinise and uh, John Malkovich, but I don't know. Um, but I I am culturally aware enough of the book. That's not
1: Death of a Salesman, eh? No. Okay. Uh, That's something else with John Malkovich? He might have been in that too, yeah. Yeah.
0: What was interesting actually, because I was just reading up on on the film that he was in today, um, that that was, um, they had, Sinise and Malkovich did it on stage in Chicago, I think, uh, part of the Steppenwolf Company in the 1980s. And so they were redoing their roles from stage on film now, which I thought was kind of interesting. That is. Um, but I am culturally aware enough of the book to have a pretty good idea of how it ends. And I'm not going to say anything more than that. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, I mean,
1: like, as we talk about this, I start thinking about other scenes in these uh, chapters that we just read. Yeah. Uh, and how that's probably alluding to something that's going to happen later. So I'd read chapter one today at lunch, and then I was talking in the afternoon to a coworker and said, Yeah, I'm reading this banned book tonight for a podcast. At this point, no idea why it's banned. And then chapter two happened. Yeah. (laughs) And then chapter two happened. Um, The old man said, I guess the boss will be out here in a minute. He sure was burned when you wasn't here this morning. Come right in when he was eating breakfast and says, where the hell's that new man? And he gave the stable buck hell too. George patted a wrinkle out of his bed and sat down. Gave the stable boy gave the stable buck hell, he asked. Sure. You see the stable buck's a N-word. <laughs> N-word, huh? And so and I read that today and went, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Uh-huh.
0: Yep. That'll that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Although what's interesting about it is we haven't seen uh the, the name of the stable buck is crooks, uh, which is apparently because he has a crooked back. Yes. Um and we haven't encountered him a whole lot. I kind of get the sense we're not going to encounter him a whole lot. He's a pretty minor character, I think. But he doesn't seem to be... Like, it doesn't seem to be used... The word isn't being used in a way that's evil or mean. Like, it seems like they like him well enough. Like, you know, at the beginning of the third chapter, we find out that they were playing horseshoes with him, uh, and he was good at horseshoes, and it's all very kind of friendly. And it's just... That's the word that was used at the yeah. time, and and you know obviously it didn't come from a friendly place initially, but I, I it doesn't feel like it's being used in a mean way in the context of the book. This is
1: a conversation for the end, but so far I don't see anything wrong with it. Like I think it's yeah. just it is merely painting, a, I think a fairly accurate portrayal of what the time was like of an, of of the con- the way people would speak. And the way they'd live their lives yeah. at a very specific time in history, and to, to do that's not racist. It's just, it's just I think, accurate.
0: Well, and I think what's interesting, too, is like, if we were, if we were writing this book now, you would have to have the, the thought of, do I use that word in order to properly convey what it was like at that time? Mm-hmm. I don't think Steinbeck had that thought. I no. think the Steinbeck was just like that's that's what we call these people. He didn't
1: it, he was far enough in the past that he wouldn't have flinched at it the way we
0: do yeah. now. And that's yeah. the thing, right? Like even if we read it and go like it's not being done in a derogatory or hateful <laughs> way, you still hit that word and you're oh, like, "Whoa." Yeah, I mean, oh boy. I
1: mean, I am a white Canadian boy. I yeah. mean, it's it's uh yeah, it's weird to be in the same room as it.
0: But yeah, let's uh, let's continue on with um with chapter 2. They get to the bunkhouse, um, and I think it's uh, who's Candy. Candy is the the old fellow who shows them into the bunkhouse. Candy's got an old dog, um, and he sort of shows them around the bunkhouse. Um, Like you said, Boss was mad that uh, they hadn't shown up, and uh, Boss ends up coming in and giving them a little bit more shit, but uh, they'll be working in the evening. Yeah, they're going to take the afternoon shift. Yep. They just missed the morning shift. Yep. Lunch, they're coming in for lunch pretty soon. We also uh, bump into uh, Curly, who is the boss's son mm-hmm. and who is kind of a mean, surly bastard.
1: I, I almost go with more like, like, Slick jock bravado is what I'm getting from it.
0: Yeah, okay. That's going you know, like, be fair. Like he's,
1: he's got his nose up, he wants to box, he considers him a
0: bit of a pugilist, but it's like in the in the in an eighties movie, he might be like the yeah. mayor's son. Yeah. But here it's the it's the guy who owns the ranch, it's his son. So he yeah. kind of has all the power and flaunts it around.
1: Yeah, he'd be the head of the cool group on the ski hill. Ooh. <laughs> right? He's yeah. that guy.
0: Uh, and Curly, of course, I shouldn't say of course, but Curly is married uh, to, do we know her name? She's just listed as Curly's wife in Wikipedia, which she may not have a name. Yeah, they're it might always just be like Curly's wife. The tart, you know, they're calling her a lot that's of other things. That's the other thing that, that, I mean, it's no N-word, but it was like, as, as they talked about her as a tart, there was a certain there is. timeliness I, to I, it that's I, there like. Is. And, Nowadays, we're like, well, a woman's allowed to express her sexuality, but at the same time,
1: this, this she's being a flirt. And giving the the F me eyes to right. every dude on the ranch. Right. But that's okay. I per- well, it's I'm not the I mean, traits Curly I might not know. appreciate. Yeah, it, not the but, traits
0: I want in a partner. Um but it, it was interesting because to me, I thought, you know, the N word was being used in a way that was friendly, whereas the Tart was very mean. This was mm. very much this was they're not speaking well no. of this woman. No. And, and then, of course, uh, after we meet Curly, uh, Curly's wife shows up at the bunkhouse as well so that George and Lenny can have a chance to meet her. Uh, and she's being all kind of flirty. And uh, Lenny's a little, his, his eyes are drifting over there. He mentions that she's very pretty.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Lenny is more simple and and she's a very beautiful woman who's flaunting her wiles like a tart. Like a tart. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and Lenny and, is going to have like
0: physical impulses and urges, right?
1: Yeah, and he's, also, he's simple. He doesn't understand the social kind of, you know, what would be correct socially. Yeah. You should look down, avert eye contact, things like that.
0: But, you know, George basically says to him, like, A, don't go anywhere near that woman. Yep. Nothing good is going to come of that. Oh, boy. And I have a, I have
1: a feeling nothing good is going to come of
0: that. I, I, I agree. Fuck. Uh, and stay away from Curly. Because Curly is itching to get into a fight. Yeah. And we don't need that shit either. Yes. Um, and the big picture for George and Lenny is that they're basically, they're broke, um, but they, they have this dream of, of buying some property somewhere, a little junk of land with, you know, fruits and veggies they can grow on there. Uh, Lenny wants to keep rabbits. Uh, Tell me about the rabbits, George, is something that comes up a lot. Yeah. Holy shit. I found myself, Did that? was that a Bugs Bunny thing? Was there ever a Bugs Bunny scene where Bugs Bunny was like, tell me about the rabbits, George? Because I'm sure I've seen that on like a
1: a Warner Brothers animation without knowing what it meant. Yeah, I think exactly that, that I've also experienced that same reference. Yeah. And I think it's going to come back in the final scene of this book.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 Along with... I'm pretty sure I know what the final scene in the book is.
1: Along with what happens in uh, in chapter three, right? Is it chapter three that Candy and uh, Candy's dog? Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. we there yet? Are we going to talk about that? Maybe, but right before we get to that, let's talk a little more about this tart. Now, that, uh, just because we're on the subject of it, there's a lot of idioms in this book, you know, turns of phrase that are a time period. And so this one caused me to actually go to Google about it. So I, I highlighted it and it's, and it's about... Uh, curly's wife okay these here jail baits is just set on the trigger of the hoose gal. and what what that's saying is that uh she's she's bad news yeah. and that the hoose gow is a word for jail it's a yeah. it's a term for jail so set on the trigger of this hoose means like just so quickly like a snap you'll go to jail if you yeah. get involved she's uh She's bad news is what that means
0: but I just thought that was a, uh, an interesting turn of phrase Which, what's interesting about it is like jailbait is still a phrase that is used with a slightly different context, context now yeah
1: that's still around and uh and yeah the, it's used more than once jailbait
0: yeah jailbait uh, and tart. George
1: George continues to refer mm-hmm. to this woman as jailbait well you
0: know you got to remind yourself you know a pretty woman like that you got to keep telling yourself jailbait tart jailbait tart don't go near her yeah bad news
1: yeah cuz i mean you're going to end up in a, hurting somebody or you're going to get hurt. And, I mean, Curly is always going to be on the side of right because his father owns the
0: ranch. You will and get fired. They do not want to get fired because they're trying to save up the money they need to buy the property that that's they right. want to retire on. This dream. Yeah. Like, they literally have 10 bucks between the two of them when they, they roll into town. They had to escape weed because of what happened with Lenny. And there, it, it, there is also, I guess, this sense, uh, and it, this falls into the that sense of foreboding you talk, about um, where it feels like the, the time is catching up with them. Like they yes. can't keep living like this for much longer. Exactly. Traveling from town to town, desperate for a place to work.
1: Yeah, and um, Lenny forcing them on with his actions, right? Yeah. They, he's stopping them from being able to hold a job down.
0: Yeah, and that's out of George's hands and yep. like how much longer can he put up with it, right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, a lot of... A lot of foreboding.
1: Yeah, there really is. I mean, to, to back to like it opens pretty close to the beginning on a dead mouse in a pocket of a character and he doesn't have an issue with it. Yeah. And like that's odd. Yeah. That's, that's odd and dark. Yeah. Right? If you think about it, uh, that's pretty odd and dark. So uh, we arrive at Candy's dog.
0: Yes. Who is old. Super old. Um, basically blind. And according to, I don't know which character. Carlson. Right. So Carlson this, is like, "Your dog stinks."
1: Yeah, Carlson doesn't want to be in the same. Uh, Your dog
0: is old; it stinks. I don't want him in this bunkhouse. Yeah, uh, he's miserable. You should just shoot him.
1: It lasts a couple of days. The stank won't go away. Yeah. Candy's in the same bunkhouse with this dog laid down, and Carlson's like, "Listen, it, it, it's a pain for that dog to have to move. The best thing you could do for it is send it out to pasture and yeah. uh, put a bullet between its eyes." Yep, yeah. from and he's behind. Like, do it right here. I won't even feel it. Yeah, he he points at a spot on the back of the dog's head yep. and says, you point the gun here, which I think is also alluding to the final scene in this friggin' book, unfortunately. And uh, you just... Uh, and so he... Carlson goes under his bed and pulls out his Luger. Yeah, that's the thing. Because... Um, uh, uh... Candy goes... Well, I mean... Nice it's not idea, like anyone but, has a gun. Right. No, I do. I got a Luger over here. And it should be mentioned there's this other character in the scenes called Slim. And Slim's job at the ranch is someone who's looked up to. He's really, they say he could uh, crack the fly off mm, of the right, hindquarters right. of a, without a horse of without a touching mule the horse. Without or touching whatever. the mule. Yeah. Right? And so everyone looks up to Slim, and his word and opinions are law on matters of history and love. And unfortunately for Candy, when Carlson mentions that this dog should be put out, uh, Candy looks to Slim, and Slim agrees. And as soon as Slim agrees, that's the most damning thing, and Candy knows it, because whatever Slim says yeah. knows. And Slim does it in a nice, calm way. He's, he, he draws you in. He doesn't put it on. He just is cool. And so but Carlson pulls out his gun.
0: Candy very much does not want to do this because it's not just that, that the dog is old. It's that the dog has been there for his entire life. Well, not his entire life, but like, you know, the dog's been around for, what, 20 years? Um, Candy's old himself. Candy's missing a hand. Um, he, I think to an extent, he feels like the dog as well. And so when you talk about like this dog needs to be put down, I think he feels, I mean, he says as much that he he feels kind of the same himself. You don't find, well, so we, we'll get there. We'll get there, yeah, okay. I think. We'll get there.
1: So Carlson pulls out his Luger.
0: Yep. Uh, ties a little something to the dog's collar and uh, takes him out.
1: And takes him outside. And, and
0: there's this long, very awkward moment where- I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, George, I think, was trying to play some euchre. Uh, but nobody – but he doesn't deal the cards. And, like, everybody – it seems like they want to try to – you know, one guy starts talking really loud, and then they're silent. And it's, like, people are trying to distract Candy from what's going to happen. But there's also, like, this perverse curiosity about when's it going to happen. And inevitability to it.
1: And just the way that uh, John Steinbeck paints this awkward silence. I mean – you must put words on a page to create nothing and he does it like he talks about it like 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 kind of wafting in through an open window and settling into the room this like this silence that feels just terrible and the way he describes yeah people fidgeting and making noise until they realize they're doing it i, I he uses words to create an an awkward nothing in in a way that uh, i don't think i've ever read before it's really well done
0: but yeah, after uh, much delay. suspense and delay and tension building, the, the shot goes out, and uh, that's it for Candy's dog. Before
1: it happens, Slim, who everyone looks up to, turns to Carlson and says, Hey, Carlson, you know what to do. Right. And hey, Carlson's like, What do you mean? Yeah. Bring a he, shovel. Yeah. It's take a shovel with you. Yeah. He's like, Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. of course. Uh, and then at some point, Carlson returns. And starts oiling up his luger and putting it away mm-hmm. into the bed. Um and it's it's through those moments uh, and the silence that uh that came after it that um Candy speaks about how
0: well we're maybe I think we should even there. later yeah, than it's that. It's even later than that. Let's because, skip that. Because first uh, Curly shows up. Looking for his wife. So yes, Again, right. Because so that then, seems to be their entire relationship. Is either you have Curly's wife looking for Curly, which is what she was doing in chapter two when she showed up at the bunkhouse. Well,
1: that's her excuse for hanging around the boys. That's one way of looking at it.
0: Yes. That's what's going on. Come I mean on. maybe it is, maybe it's it not. Is. I don't I'm just I'm just saying that they don't they don't in, they don't bump into each other much, regardless of the reason, right? Curly can't find his wife, and his wife is probably avoiding Curly. My point is that they're married, and they probably don't interact very much. There's
1: this great scene where, because... uh Curly's wife has eyes for Slim, and so yeah. she's at the bunkhouse and is like, hey, Slim, and Slim's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I'm looking for my husband, and it's like, that's funny. I bet he'd find you a lot easier if you stayed in, in your <laughs> house. Right. Yeah. Right. If you stayed at home, I bet you'd be able to find him. Right. Right, and she gets a little
0: embarrassed by it. And that's, <laughs> that's right, before, good, good uh, in exchange. before Curly comes to the bunkhouse, Slim goes out because he's got to help. There's a, a mule or something when with a, split- a tarred hoof. hoof. Yeah, we need to put a tar on the hoof. And uh, and so, um, uh, Slim leaves the bunkhouse. Yep.
1: And then there's a scene with oh, Lenny had left because of the dogs, the pups. We forgot right. this whole fucking pups. There's this so, whole other fucking narrative yeah, about dog now, puppies.
0: I think it was Slim's dog, right? Slim's dog had puppies. Slim's dog had puppies. And one of the things that, uh, that George and Lenny had talked about is like Lenny getting a dog when they had the, their, their ranch or their farm or whatever. And now that they found that there are, are pups there, which I think uh, Curly – no, not Curly. I'm getting somebody – my name's confused here. Uh, Slim. Slim had said that he had, like, drowned five of the pups already because there were too many. It was a litter
1: of nine. He drowned four of the pups right off the bat. Because the mother wouldn't be able to feed feed all of them. Feed off all of them. That's right.
0: And so. uh, It's dark, man. The book's dark. Well, but that's, I feel like, again, that's something that was a bit more common at that time. Like, it's just a fact that, like, um, we can't feed that many can't little puppies. We feed that many little puppies. Yeah. They're going to suffer if they starve to death. Let's yeah. just take care of this now.
1: Boy, but isn't that is a theme that seems to be perpetuating through this? Right. Holy moly. <laughs>
0: um, but then, yeah, Lenny's like, you know, do you think maybe like he'd let me have one and maybe b- before he drowns any more of them, George? Yeah, like, <laughs> hey, George, right? you got to ask
1: him right away, George,
0: is there yeah. a brown and white one, George? Yeah. And I mean, it all comes out of the dead
1: mouse because George says to Lenny, like, maybe we can get you a dog and you won't, kill a dog when you try to pet it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Cuz that's how strong this Lenny character yeah. is, which we're going to further understand before this chapter is finished.
0: Um so yeah, um Lenny at one point uh comes back into the bunkhouse like all weirdly hunched over and George is like put him back. <laughs>
1: Give us the puppy,
0: the puppy's <laughs> one day old. You're going to smuggle the puppy you're gonna in. You're going
1: to kill this freaking puppy. Go put the puppy away. He says Okay, well, I'm just gonna go hang out in the barn then. Yeah, and so they think that'd be an okay idea. He yeah. just goes and hangs out in the barn. Uh,
0: and then, uh, and then when um, Crook shows up to tell Slim that the tar is ready for the mule, he also mentions that Lenny's out in the barn touching all the puppies. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's
1: not working it's well. It's not working out. <laughs> it's not. Fuck those <laughs> dogs. Fuck those dogs. They're all gonna <laughs> die.
0: Yeah. Um, and so Slim is like, okay, I'll 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 deal with that when I go out to deal. with the the mule as well
1: Right And so then Lenny returns to the bunkhouse
0: I think that's later A little
1: chided And then Lenny and George sit and talk
0: Well, but that's during the fight though Or when they There might be a fight
1: Yeah? Curly needs to drop by first? I think so Yeah, okay
0: um, So Curly drops by Looking for his wife He thinks that Slim and his wife are getting it on And then he finds out that Slim is out in the, the barn so he's like, "Well, fuck! I better go check on Slim." That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that now has a bunch of the guys at the bunkhouse thinking, "Ooh, this is going to be a fight." Yeah, let's go we check got that some out. excitement.
1: Even if there's not a fight, there's
0: going to be something. There's right? going to be something going on. We're going to
1: find Slim with his woman, with Curly's woman, so or yeah,
0: they're going to. Pretty be- much everybody uh, gets out of there except for George and um Lenny. Nope. And um, Candy. Candy. Yes. Um, too many C names. Curly, Candy, Crooks. C-c-c-c- anyway. And that's where I think. Lenny comes back. Lenny, well, I don't remember. I feel like they have a bit of a conversation before Lenny comes back.
1: George and Candy.
0: Yeah. But I could be wrong.
1: No. Candy's, Candy's uh, sullen and he's got his head to the wall and George is in there. And Lenny comes back, kicked back by right, Slim. Right. And and George is like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was just petting him. It's right. And it's like, listen, Slim told you to come back right on. And then George asks Slim, like, hey, like, was that woman we saw earlier out there? Did yep. you see her around
0: Slim? And and Lenny's like, Nope, didn't see it. Yep. So And they ask him a few times in a few different ways. And um, I mean it, it at my at this point at least i would guess that he's telling the truth i, I don't see Agreed. that he would have a, have nope. a motivation for lying
1: no nope. and there is no motivation yep. there as we find out later when they return yep. there was nothing going on uh and but they begin just conversing about that place that place that they yes, think because, about Because The yeah, dream of. always
0: wants to hear about the rabbits and about the form. it seems before bed to give them something to dream about
1: and just, it's a tough place. Uh, Lenny doesn't want to be there anymore. He feels like it's dangerous. He keeps getting in trouble for different yeah. things. He's just, uh, he's not happy there either. And so George can kind of settle him down by selling him on the dream, right? Yeah. Keep selling him on the dream. Keep, uh, you
0: know, throwing the grain bags and we'll get we'll get out of this eventually, Lenny, right? So he, you know, George tells the story again. And I think, you know, compared to when we heard the story in the first chapter, this one has a bit more detail to it. Yes. We get a more fleshed out look at at the life that they kind of dream of having.
1: And as they're talking about it, Candy starts to turn over. Yeah, his and ears listen, kind of
0: perk up. He listens quietly. Yeah, he he starts to being uh, he starts buying the dream. And and kind of at the end of it, he's like, "Guys, I don't want to, you know, step where I'm not wanted." But like, I'm I'm kind of at the end of my time here. Like, I've got one hand. They've got me doing this shit ass job because it's the only thing I can do. They feel guilty because I lost my hand here. That's the only reason I'm still working.
1: And I mean, I've just seen what they do to things that have outlived their use.
0: They take them out in the back pasture and shoot them in the back and of the head. And that's exactly what, how he feels. Like and he's, I'm going to be, i going to be, be that. that,
1: right? I'm a stubby-handed dude.
0: And and so he asks, like, how much is the farm worth? George says it's about six hundred dollars. Yeah. And uh, and Candy's like, I got, I got three hundred and fifty. I got 250 on me and another 150 50 coming yeah, in. Yeah, 50
1: in the bank on top of that. Yeah, got, another so 50 got, coming. He got a 250 severance from losing his hand yeah. in
0: a piece of machinery,
1: which is a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Um so he's like like can I can I come in on this with you guys? Like I'll I'll write a will and uh leave it to you guys when I'm dead so you don't have to worry about like me screwing you over. I don't have any family. Um you can take the 350 I have, and maybe like you guys can top it up a little bit and like make a down payment. And and the more they talk about it, the more that the dream for it seems like the first time for George at least begins to solidify into something that could actually happen.
1: Yeah, beyond it goes from just dream to this, reality,
0: this dream that he's kind of just telling Lenny as something that is probably never going to happen. But now all of a sudden, with this with Candy now in and the way they're talking about it this now has some potential. Um, And so it's now, at this point, it's even more important that they not lose their job here because they need to get that money made um, to make it happen because now it is potentially within reach.
1: They're thinking if they work one month, they each get their 50 bones from that, they take Candy's money, they get a down payment on it, they yeah. can put enough down to own the property and pay off the remainder with George taking a job and the two of them tending to the land. Yeah. So they're like, this is becoming real and they're going to figure it out. Yeah. And then... The bunkhouse door opens. Yeah. Uh, I think in Storm's Slim first, our, our
0: cool cowboy man. I believe so, yeah.
1: And right behind him on his, sh- on his just behind his elbow, they keep saying is Curly, and Curly's being apologetic. And right behind Curly is Carlson, the guy who shot the dog yeah. who'd gone to see what was going on.
0: And Curly might be apologetic, but he's, he's still worked up.
1: Yeah, he's, he's now having to apologize to Slim. Slim's like, man, you need to stop this. You need to control your woman. Now, what we need to remember is that they've just, uh, is that Lenny and... George? Lenny and George have just finished discussing this amazing place yeah. that they're going to actually have a chance of getting. And it's and in Lenny's Len-
0: mind. Lenny is slow. Lenny's on his bed, and he's he's smirking. He's and- just at the back of the
1: room with a big shitting grin on, daydreaming about a yeah. farm, not paying attention to what's
0: happening in the room. But Curly looks at him and thinks, the fuck you laughing at me for?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Carlson as well was in the room and saying, ha, 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 Curly, yeah. you know, like I'm not scared of you either now. Right. So Curly's realizing there's no one in this room he can intimidate. And that's unusual for him. Curly is this a bit of a, um, a, a brute, mm-hmm. a bully. And so then he sees the shitting and grin on the simple huge man at the back of the room and thinks, here's a target for
0: yep. me. So he, he, he goes at Lenny with, you know, like, you know, you laughing at me, quit laughing at me. And he pummels him. He just starts punching and slashing and punching. And so initially, Lenny's arms are still at his side. He's so shocked at
1: what's happening, he's not even defending himself.
0: Well, he doesn't even defend himself until George says a couple of times, like, hit him. Like, don't take it.
1: Yeah. And And so eventually, Lenny starts covering up his face. Yeah. That just means Curly goes to the body on him
0: instead. Uh, he's really and, working and him by over. by the time he's covering up his face, he's got a, he's got a cut on his eye, and One his One eye, eye is, is basically closed, and shut. yeah. And finally, after some prodding by George, uh, Lenny just grabs, uh, Curly's hand.
1: Yeah, so Curly goes to punch Lenny as George is yelling, dude, defend yourself. Yeah. And Lenny just literally reaches out and catches his punch with his hand.
0: And crushes his goddamn hand.
1: And literally breaks every bone in that man's hand. Yeah. And they can't get him to let go. Yeah. And he, de- he just destroys Curly's hand. So now uh, we've got Curly uh, in a real state on the ground. Um, Carlson goes for the medic wagon to get him to town. Yep. Slim goes outside, grabs a little water, returns to Curly, gets him to sip a little water on the ground.
0: And I think it's Slim who, uh, who says to Curly, like... We don't need to sort of, you got your, we think you got your hand caught in some machinery. Yeah. Right? So
1: George goes to, to <laughs> slam. We need this job now, yeah. right? Cause they're one month away from freedom. We need this job. Slim looks at Curly and says, Hey, listen, you're going to be the laughing stock If this gets out, mm-hmm. if this happened in farming machinery, then Hey, no one looks like an idiot about exactly. it. And these guys get to keep their jobs. That's the way this is going to play out. Yep. Right. And he's like, yeah, that's the way this is going to play out. Yep. And I think with that, Curly gets uh, hoisted into this wagon to go to town, and the chapter ends, if the chapter I'm not ends. mistaken. Yep. And we're somewhere around halfway through this thing, yep. uh, of mice and men. It's included both. It has included both. Uh, it, the uh, the title was bang on. Uh, it's... There is such foreboding. There is such a sense of dread in the pit of my stomach. I yeah. just fucking know this is going to go wrong, and it's going to go wrong in the most tragic way possible, and I just can feel that coming like a freight train. Uh, I'm loving the language. Mm-hmm. I'm loving the way they speak to each other. It feels dirty. It feels primal, right? It feels yeah. frontierish. Yeah. There's something about it. Uh, yeah, it feels dangerous.
0: Um, there's so much, uh, foreboding built in like just these 57 pages and, and not just that though, but also like, there's so much, like there's so many stakes already at this point. We're halfway through, but it's only been 57 pages and, and we already care so much about just uh, George and Lenny to begin with and, and whether or not they're going to be successful. Um, the, the stakes have gone through the roof almost in this third chapter because we've gone from pipe dream to possible
1: thing candy said he would give a hundred dollars to them to mail a down payment to these people who own the property right just to get this thing rolling yeah so like it's becoming a reality it's becoming a reality and like, that gives me freaking anxiety because these two are just a pipe dream and nothing's gonna work out for them and this guy's willing to just give away his money when he's a a cripple he's handicapped but that's where
0: his state is too right he's desperate for any way
1: out and this is this is the only one he can and that again
0: was how he was pitching it it's like whatever you guys need me to do like i'll do the dishes i'll cook cook the chicken anything you need like i need to be there yeah um and so the 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 future of these at least these three people yeah are are up in the air over how this book ends (laughs) i'm sure it's going to be a happy ending (laughs) Oh, boy. Only if you're a mortician. Oy vey. Um, Any sort of first thoughts after the, you know, the first 57 pages or so?
1: I really like it. Um, So far, I don't see any reason for it to be banned anywhere. I I mean, yeah, the use of the N-word isn't good anytime, anywhere, anyplace. But I do feel that there's a picture being painted here that's extremely accurate.
0: Well, I think, yeah,
1: I I mean... I So, like, I appreciate the glimpse into what it is, and it would lose a little bit of something if it wasn't there, I think. I think it needs to be there, and I think it adds to the kind of the depth of the experience that it gives you. It feels a little more accurate. It feels a little more gritty and real and ugly, and uh, and I think that's the time period, and so I'm glad it is what it is. mm -hmm. Uh, Don't want to live it. Don't want to be a part of it. Mm I'm glad I can know that it was, like, I'm glad that I can know it existed and this is what it was like to, mm. to have better perspective and appreciation for the world I live in now and a better understanding of why we don't want that stuff. Mm. It doesn't uh, glorify it. It just makes, uh, I don't know, it's, I think it's a, a good thing that it exists.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, banning material like this is is in the same vein as like, you know, trying to erase history. Um, obviously, this isn't you know historical facts what happened in of mice and men, but it is a it's a portrait that is historically accurate of its time. And I think that we have um, intentional records of that. And when I say intentional, I mean like people were writing at that time of that time, and it's a picture of what that time was. And they didn't have to stop and think, should I use this word? Can I use this word? Is this per- correctly portray what this era was? That's just what the era was. And that we have those records, um, and not just records, but we have some really fantastic literature from that time that also is a reflection of what that time was, I think, is, is really valuable.
1: What year was it written in?
0: Uh, yeah, I have that. It's 19, I want to say 1930-something. And when's it set? Basically, the same time. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, and and Steinbeck himself was um, he had that life at a t- at a period in time in 1910. I think he was he was doing that. He was traveling from place to place, um, working. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um. So there you go. Coming up on well, it's 80, 80 years old, 80, 75 years old ish, years old, 75 years old next year. Is that right? No. 85? I don't know. Pardon me? How old is it at 37? 1937? Yeah. It's like 85 years old? No.
1: It's 94 years old. Is it? Yeah, it's 21. No, I'm off by
0: 10 yeah. years. 84.
1: 84 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time. 84-year-old book. It's damn good writing. It is. What it reminds me of uh, is uh, these two South Park characters, uh, Nathan and Mimsy. Yeah, they were uh, they were mentally handicapped characters, and the one was like the big dolt, always like lumbering into stuff and breaking the plans. While Nathan was like the one always trying to like, you know, like hatch little schemes. And there was a very like Warner Brother esque feel to it, but also like this Mimsy. And Mizzy's like, I did it, boss. I did it, right? And, like, it just, uh, there's something about it that uh, really reminded me of Mice and Men. Interesting. Yeah, this, like, slapstick kind of over-the-top version of it or something.
0: Cool. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, do you have any uh, anything you want to plug? No. Okay. <laughs> cool. My name's Dave mine Google that shit. There you go. It's spelled like a mine full of coal. It is. And Dave is spelled like Dave. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening everybody. Uh, uh, my name's Todd Sullivan. that was Dave Colemine. He just told you that uh, Until we meet again, go read a fucking book. And that
1: was Todd Sullivan.
0: he just told you that) <laughs>